Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. This reading is from John chapter 6, verse 24 to 35. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus, Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your full of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is in him that God the Father has set a seal. Then they sent to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Our reading from the writings of Emanuel Swedenborg this morning comes from Heaven and Hell, section 286. The origin of peace shall be first considered. Divine peace is in the Lord. It springs from the union of the divine itself and the divine human in him. The divine of peace in heaven is from the Lord, springing from his conjunction with the angels of heaven, and in particular, from the conjunction of good and truth in each angel. These are the origins of peace. From this, it can be seen that peace in the heavens is the divine inmostly affecting with blessedness everything good therefrom. And from this is every joy of heaven. Also that it is, in its essence, the divine joy of the Lord's divine love, resulting from his conjunction with heaven and with everyone there. This joy felt by the Lord in angels and by angels from the Lord is peace. By derivation from this, the angels have everything that is blessed, delightful, and happy, or that which is called heavenly joy. Have you ever gotten lost in your attention? I don't know if you understand what that means. I don't mean, have you ever been lost like walking through a place you've never been before, you don't know where you're going, and you can't find your way out. I mean, have you ever been going about doing something? Have you ever realized all of a sudden that you're someplace or that you passed the thing that you were trying to get to, but someplace that you didn't realize that you were because you were too focused on what you were doing? I can only assume this happens to other people. If not, I'm in trouble. 
Whether walking or driving, I have been so engrossed or fixated on something that I was thinking or doing that all of a sudden I realized I went right by what I was looking for. I almost had to put in place a a requirement that even coming to church that I wouldn't talk to Leah as we were driving until we got on 90 because a number of times I found myself driving up 495 after passing 90. Um, We can get really fixated on what we're doing. We can have conversations We can be doing activities. We can concentrate so much that we lose sight of what it is that we're doing. These moments of distraction are actually something that, believe it or not, our spiritual life does as well. These moments of distraction are very real-world example of our concentration and our focus. And our spiritual lives need need focus, too. And... And if we get distracted, it is so easy for us to lose sight of where we're heading. In our gospel reading today, I I just love a reading that starts off with the crowd realizing Jesus isn't there. Like they were doing something, all of a sudden they said, well, where'd Jesus go? The way it sounds is that these are a bunch of people that no, they aren't really necessarily really responsible. Um, they, maybe they're even confused about who Jesus is, but it's important to note that this crowd in this story, and I can't have everybody read the entire book of John because that's just, you know, every paragraph before the paragraph you read is important for what you've just read. So really quickly, this is a crowd that has gathered because they heard who Jesus was. They wanted to see Jesus heal sick people. They wanted to listen to him and be inspired. They formed around Jesus, they got hungry, Jesus blessed bread, gave it to them, they were eating the bread, and Jesus snuck away while they were eating the bread. Do you know why Jesus snuck away? Jesus snuck away because he was scared that they were going to proclaim him to be the king. Which is kind of interesting because Jesus already in this point is aware of what his future is. He's aware of what he's going to do. He was worried that he was going to be proclaimed the son of David who is going to be anointed king for the wrong reason. I don't know if that makes sense. It's not that he wasn't aware of what his birthright was, what his message was, what the ark of his story was going to be. He was worried that he would be proclaimed king because of what he had done for that crowd. So he got up and he just crossed the the sea, went to the other side of the sea. He did it without, of course, a boat, just walked. The disciples, they noticed. The disciples went after him. They had their boat issue and Jesus had to walk out to them. That whole story happened. But then this story opens up with the crowd saying, where's Jesus? A new day came. People came to Jesus because they wanted something. While they were there, Jesus fed them. 
Jesus all of a sudden noticed an unhealthy relationship forming. Jesus noted that these people were not actually listening and becoming empowered. It was a dysfunctional relationship, one where Jesus kept giving and there was no reciprocity. He was scared that he was going to be proclaimed king, not because of who he was, but because of what he did. Like the man who asked, what could he do to receive salvation? And Jesus said, give up all that you have and follow me. People are always looking for what is the thing I can do to be okay. And Jesus is not about what can you do. The Lord is about who can you be. It's not about a goal. It's about transforming an attitude and approach to life. It is not about crossing a finish line. It is not about finally getting a reward in the mail. It's about engaging in a life of love. True peace is from God. It is not from the world. It is not something you achieve by getting something. It's something a person achieves by being something. A person may think that becoming wealthy will make them happy. It does not. A person may think that getting something will make them happy, and it does not. It really just matters on whether or not what they have is helping them be in relationship with God and one another. The wildflower, a grain of sand, sand statue, a newborn baby, the person who you stop to help, these are all things that are opportunities for us to be a loving person. We can be a loving person through any item so long as our, or, our heart and our love is in order. If we think that that item is going to transform us, we are going to be gravely mistaken. That item is going to become an idol. That's what happened with the people who didn't realize Jesus left. They were so happy eating the bread. They were so happy participating in that moment that they didn't realize that the whole reason why they gathered there was gone. There's a relatively famous person who had a bit of an issue with idol worship. His name is Reverend Cecil Williams. And uh, even though I think the United Methodist Church has a policy that you can only serve a church for seven years. He served a church for 40 years in the United Methodist Church, most likely because they were scared of what he might do if he went anywhere else. But he served a church called Glide Memorial Church. It's in San Francisco, and there's this great legend surrounding it where he walked into the church and he looked up at the cross above the altar and he tore it down and threw it in front of the congregation and said, stop looking at that cross and start living it. Pretty much everyone I know who was there said that never happened. That was his message, though. He said, coming to church to sit in worship because you like your walls, you like your music, you like your minister is idol worship. 
if it's not impacting your life and what you do. He grew the Glide Memorial Church to do all sorts of wonderful things, become a very famous church that gets visits from all sorts of famous people who want to participate in what's going on there. But his message is not a message. Oh, it had a healthy endowment too, by the way, so it's not like he just took this poor church and made it great. It owned a city block in San Francisco. I mean, it, it, it wasn't a rags-to-riches story. But the purpose of what he said was we need to not just do church. We need to be a church. We need to not come here so we can say at the end of the day, we went to church, we're saved. We need to realize that we need to fully understand what it means to be, to act every day of the week as a church. We need to understand that the worldly value of church is not anything other than something that supports our spiritual life. He said in the end, all love requires sacrifice. And that means people had to give up what they loved about their church in order to do church in a new way. They needed to be willing to say, my church needs me to sacrifice my desire in order for us to come together and transform our community. This is not to say that the things that we need, like clothes, shelter, food, and all, that these things are unimportant. I'm not going to say we don't need those things. We're all aware what happens if you don't get them. But they need to be subservient to the question of who are you trying to be. This is what it means for that crowd of people to get into boats and to go to the other side of the sea to seek the Lord. Getting into the boat and working their way across the sea that the disciples just crossed with not an easy way, right? They almost sank. And it means working to find where God is in our lives so that we can be with God and not just be next to God. There's a difference. One is a location and one is a state. Think about things in your life. We, we have a church that's full of things that are relics. This lovely lectern here from 1926, right? It'd be so easy to say, ah, the true, true goodness of our church is its history. And we can say that this, this is what it means to be a good church, is to look back at what the church has done and I can feel good by looking at what the church has done. That's an idol. To stare at the artwork and the ascending Jesus and saying that's what it means to be religious. If what we're doing is looking at it and getting a good warm feeling, that is an idol. What can we do? It takes focused attention <laughs> And believe it or not, focus, attention can be developed through practice. We do not practice in our lives very much, right? You see, practice isn't just doing something over and over again. 
practices working on places that you need to grow in over and over again. So a person could do the same thing over and over again, in which case I'm a world-class eater. Right? I eat all the time. But if I want to eat an eating, if I want to win an eating competition, those people practice. I don't know if you've ever seen the hot dog eaters. I mean, they have practice schedules, and they learn how. They say, how do I get that next hot dog in my mouth, which I do not <laughs> want to do. But to actually grow requires deliberate practice. It's saying, where are we weak and how do we get better at it? Not just how do we do what we're good at over and over again. There's a difference between working at a thing, one thing for 20 years and actually growing in what you're doing over 20 years. A runner who does not ask, can I run faster tomorrow, can run for 20 years and not be able to win the race. A runner who wants to run competitively needs to constantly ask themselves, how do I increase my pace? How do I transform what I'm doing so I can excel? It's a conscious way of living. I really need to start focusing and realizing that when I'm driving, I need to pay attention to the road. So when I go somewhere, I don't get easily distracted by talking to the person sitting next to me or listening to a radio program. I need to be present in what I am doing. It will probably help too in case of accident. I tried, okay. So, we can work by being present in what we are doing. We can, if we want to live more spiritual lives, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to actively, deliberately practice to learn to be more loving people? It means actually relating our lives to the things that give us meaning. And, in the case of a person who is Christian, it means actually reading scripture and saying, what do these stories in scripture say about being loving and how do I apply it on a daily basis? It's not just going to church once a week saying, hit church, I'm good, now I'm loving. It's about finding ways that are difficult every day to stop and say, how am I going to prioritize loving in a way, this is the hard part, that takes sacrifice in a way in which I say, this is inconvenient for me, but I'm going to find a way to love that person. That's true deliberate practice. The person who runs competitively, the person who excels, the person who has grit says, how can I deliberately work on my practice today even though there might be something else that I want to do? If we can have that presence where we are actually, when we practice, when we drive, when we do our repetitive tasks, if we can actually be in the moment thinking about what we're doing and not getting distracted, then we will not be disciples who are, are left on the other side of the sea. We will be the disciples who notice the Lord walking across the ocean and say, whoa, guys, let's head out. That's what it means for us to focus to practice, to become more and more spiritual. May we all seek to grow in faith. May we all practice deliberately to grow in love. And may we all cross to the other side of the sea and find the Lord. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.